Good morning. Man, it's great to see you today. Uh, up on the screen, just want to kind of prepare you. Uh, I want you to do, uh, let me see my athletic people. Who in here say, man, I'm really a, a great athlete. Look at Pastor Kevin. That's the biggest joke I've ever seen. You that are athletically inclined, you go ahead with one hand and be turning to Colossians 1. And with the other hand, you can put that around your wife or sweetheart or whatever the case may be. But on the screen, uh, just to kind of prepare you. Now, today, a number of you are guests. And, man, we're so thankful that you're here. Uh, our church family is about to launch into building a new north campus out here on George Ritchie. And in two weeks, we're going to be having our Commitment Sunday. We are going to be liquidating this campus, moving out there, building a new campus. And so our church family uh, is going to be making a financial commitment over the next four years, two parts. We're about to enter into the first part. And so I am just uh, need a little intermission from you if you're a guest for just a moment to be sure that our church family kind of is aware of what's going to be happening. Uh, you're going to be receiving a packet in the mail, a very significant package in the mail. Do not throw it away. Uh, for you that check your mail once a week, don't do that this week. Go every day with expectancy. Monday, no envelope. Tuesday, there it is. Uh, but it'll be coming this week. It'll give you the final information about the drawings, the drafts, the pictures, all of those kind of things. Hopefully we'll type the last questions uh, that you may have. Also in there will be your commitment card. Our commitments are a private. We have one man in the whole church that's counting those. When he gets through counting them and giving us a tally of the sheet without names, then we'll destroy the cards. We know that is your best forecast. That means in 13 months, we're not going to be coming to your house and say, hey, you're $25 behind on your giving, all right? We're not going to know what anyway, except that one gentleman, what anybody committed. That's between you and the Lord, all right? So this week, commitment cards will arrive and instructions and your final information packet. Next week, uh, we hope you're, you'll be able to hear from some different people about the campaign, maybe our campaign leaders. So, since I haven't asked them yet, that's kind of a heads up for them, LaRue's. Uh, but there are uh, uh, gonna be some, there'll be a special video that we want you to see, but we'll be kind of wrapping that up n next week. April the 6th, on Wednesday morning, we're having this incredible prayer event during our more midweek service. It'll be right here at 10.31 a.m. If you're off of work, we'd love for you to come participate in that. And then we'll have our commitment service on April the 10th. That is Palm Sunday. If you come here at 10.30 on Palm Sunday, you will not be able to get in the building. We will all be across the street. One gigantic service. It's going to be a special time, special commitment time, and so we hope you'll be here. That means all of our small groups for the whole church move back to the 9:15 time slot. For many of you, you're already in that time slot, but your worship venue will change on April the 10th. And then on May the 1st, we've added a week, three weeks, that we'll be making our commitments for those that weren't here uh, we'll have three weeks for everybody to get those cards in, and we will celebrate on May the 1st with the announcement uh, of exactly what our commitments are. I'm excited about that. To be honest with you, I'm just relieved. I'm ready to move forward. I don't know about you, but uh, I, Becky and I are excited. We're going to be able to make the largest financial gift we've ever made in any campaign. 
And we're really excited about that. When you move into a dairy barn, you can do a lot of things financially. And so we're uh, excited about that and excited to be able to help. Just let me remind you of one very important thing. We will never as a church be able to accomplish anything that we're not committed to. We've got to be committed to this task. We have prepared, and man, without preparing, it would be devastating. Five years we've waited for this moment. Study committees and property acquisitions, paying for the property, and so God has brought us to this place. Remember this, across America, there are ordinary churches every year that do some extraordinary things. It's our time. It's the Lord's time. And so we really are excited about that. Well, I don't know how well you know me. Maybe you don't really want to know me any better than you currently know me. But I, I, uh, I think Josh Thomas would be the first to admit to you that I am not a computer geek. <laughs> I'm not a, commu- uh, a computer nerd. In fact, uh, I only know how to do two things on my computer. And uh, they tell me I have a very nice computer. I don't know where it's nice or not. Josh or somebody in the office buys that for me every four or five years. And so they just, uh, I mean, I know how to do Word and I know how to do email. Those are the only two things I know how to do on my computer. Now, my computer is filled with all kinds of icons and screens. I don't know what any of those things are. I have no social media footprint, nor have ever had a social media imprint. Uh, footprint, nor do I plan on ever having any kind of, so you say, well, wait till you get a grandchild. I'll take the old Polaroid pictures will be just fine with me. Uh, but I, I, I have to tell you, it's just so frustrating uh, f- for me uh, that, that I don't really know a whole lot more about it. Um, and, and people ask me all the time, well, pastor, why don't you ask? Why don't you just ask somebody if you want to know more? And the answer is because I'm a guy, okay? Uh, I, I'm probably not going to ask very many people for help if I can help it. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just frustrating for me. Like somebody will say, hey, why don't you download this? And I don't know how to download anything. In fact, I tried to download something one time, and it kept coming back and said, download incomplete, download incomplete, download incomplete. And so that means I have to go get Josh Thomas or one of the five-year-old kids in the CDC can help me. That's what, that really just burdens my heart. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and so it's just an overwhelming thing. But the frustration of all frustrations for me is the other day, in word of all things, I did this sermon document. I got it finished. I came back two days later to revisit it. I, and of course, I saved it, just like I've been trained to do. Save, save, save. I save it three times to be sure. And I went back to get it. And it said, I clicked on it. It said, access denied. Now, I ask you, How can you be denied access to a document that you wrote? I'm just wondering that. I hate computers. If I could just have a guide through computer land, it would really be helpful to me, although I've discovered I really don't care about it. I don't care. There's the truth. I don't care enough about the computer to go beyond. In fact, let's just get real about it. I only care as much about the computer as it will serve my needs. 
And today, as we continue our series in the book of Colossians, in just a moment, I'm going to be opening God's word for us and reading verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. It is one of my favorite passages in the entire book of Colossians. That little letter, verses 9 through 12, tell us so much about the ability of our God to guide us. Wouldn't it be incredible if we had a guide through life? Not just any guide, but if it were God guiding our way. And what I want to do today is to take you a little bit deeper. I mean, on the surface, we could just say that and say, hey, let me show you this in the scripture where it says God has the ability to guide us. But I want us to go to a deeper level today. I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to sense it in God's word that there is the opportunity for you to come to a place in terms of spiritual depth with God that you go beyond just him leading you. Did everybody get that? Most of you have only been taught that how you need to pray and ask God and he will lead you. And you know what I say about that? Wonderful. That's a great first step. But do you realize that our Bible teaches us that there's a step beyond that? There is a place that believers can go that we're not just led, but we are guided. God breathes into our lives such incredible wisdom He walks along with us. And here's how the scripture refers to that. We are controlled and guided by him. And so today, we're going to use these four verses to springboard. Now, here's what I'm going to ask that you do. You already know this is an extremely important topic. You find something right now. You prepare because there's going to be three or four things that I'm going to want you to jot down. So find your old gum wrapper, a bulletin, uh, old newspaper, whatever you've got handy, because there's two or three things I want to show you and that you're going to probably want to jot down as we walk through. You know, we could start off by saying this. Our Bible is absolutely filled with people that came to that crossroads in life time and time again where they just said, God, what do you want me to do? I don't fully understand. You take the character by the name of Moses. Moses had an interesting life, didn't he? A life of prosperity, growing up in the Pharaoh's house, all the way down to a hardened criminal, a murderer, but God still is going to use him. I love him because Moses and I shared at least one attribute together. He was a a stutterer, and so am I. In fact, it's just a miracle that I can even talk somewhat to you today because for the first four or five years of elementary school, I spent half of my day in a broom closet with a speech therapist. But you know, Moses came to that crossroads at the Red Sea. He he and the people of, of God, the whole nation of Israel had seen God sweep through these Egyptians. 400 years of slavery and God put these plagues on those people. And so Pharaoh said, get out of here. They get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh now is in pursuit of them of all things. He is so angry and they get right to the Red Sea and 
I think one of the most interesting church conference business meetings ever in the history of mankind must have transpired because Moses was saying, stand here and stand firm. And God's people were saying, let's go back. Let's go back to captivity. Let's go back to misery. Let's go back to slavery. And the amazing thing is God did not want either one of those. Now, wasn't that an interesting moment? God was wanting his people to advance and go forward. You think Moses may have stopped at that moment and said, God, what is going on here? I love in our Old Testament, this strange character shows up. We don't know anything about him. We don't know who his mom or dad were. It was just like, whoop, and there was Elijah. He just shows up, man. I mean, no precursor for him. Boop, there he is. And he's not just standing there he's standing for the king of Israel a guy by the name of Ahab when we we're introduced to him and he's kind of like taking his finger and pointing at Ahab's face and saying hey dude it's not going to rain again until God honors my voice and calling the rain to come forth you are in destitution and you are being punished and so there will be a drought and famine across this land like you've never seen before and God has to allow him to escape God says, go to that brook, Kareth. i got some birds that are going to feed you, and that brook has water to sustain you. That dries up, and of all things, God sends him to a lady's house, a single mom with a boy, and they are so impoverished and poor, they don't have anything to eat. What an awkward feeling for this hungry man to show up on their door, the very front of their house. It's like, come on in, we, we don't have much, this is all we got to eat. And then of all things, he's staying there, and the boy dies. And I ask you, you think Elijah may have stopped and said, God, what are you doing? This is bizarre. I think about that moment in Joseph's life when he was so gifted. He was in gifted and talented as a child, a dreamer. Brothers hated him. He had to overcome that scar tissue, sold into slavery. You remember the story. On the Potiphar's house, hey, that looked like a pretty good gig until his wife tried to put him in a seductive spider web. But he rose above only to find himself. He resisted only to find himself in prison of all things. You think Joseph may have stopped and said, look, God, what are you up to? I think about our New Testament. Paul came to that point, thought God was sending him to Asia. The Bible records this, and the Holy Spirit repelled him. Then he thought he was going to go north to Bithynia. And the Bible says of all things... The spirit of Christ prohibited him. One of the only times that phrase is ever used in the Bible, the spirit of Christ prohibited him. I just wonder at that point, Paul says, look, you didn't want me to go north, you didn't want me to go east. Now, what is it that you want, God? Now, I want you to hear, pastor, this morning. I'm not going to be suggesting today that we're going to understand fully everything that God does and why he's doing it. In fact, the Bible teaches us a contrary point to that. There's going to be times in, that we look at God and we're going to understand, hey, we don't understand God's permissive will. Why did God allow that to happen? And we're just not going to know the answer. There's going to be other times that we're going to look at God's sovereign will where he decrees something to happen. We're going to say, what's up with that? And we're not going to know the answer. And there will be other times. 
that we'll be reading God's word and that will be amplified. Like when you come to Romans 11, when Paul says, let me tell you something about God's ways. They are unsearchable. But what I do want to show you today is that you can go beyond just having a gentle nudge by God. In fact, he will so take you and guide you and control you in your decision making. And let me tell you something, that's where we want to be. Our question should be, how do we get there? Are there some qualifiers for us to get to that space? And that's where I want us to invest these next 18 minutes and 11 seconds. How do we get there? Let's read from God's word, Colossians, the very first chapter beginning in verse number nine. And here's what God's word says. Don't worry about that yellow sheet. We don't need it. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have stopped praying. We've not stopped praying for you. We will continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. Now, hey, that's, I mean, wouldn't you be in agreement with me? Everything the spirit can offer would you be willing to say by raising your hand today, that's a lot of knowledge and wisdom. Can I just see your hands? Everything the Holy Spirit has to answer. Some of you, we need to go back and talk about the Holy Spirit. That's a bunch. In East Texas, that's lots. Let's keep reading. The Bible goes on to say this, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Boy, now that, man, this really gets good. Bearing fruit in every good work. Look at this next statement. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being what? Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Finally in verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of God of light. Somewhere, you may just want to make a note, first of all, of, listen to me. Some of you aren't focusing. Stay with me. Very important. Over in the book of John, chapter 16, Jesus is laying his heart out to his disciples. And he's telling them, essentially, one little simple message, goodbye. I'm about to die I'm about to go away. These are some of my final words. Hear my heart. Listen to me. It's important. And in the midst of that, John 16 records these words, and they were filled with sorrow. When you go translate that, that translates, they were not just filled, they were controlled by the sorrow. Acts 4 the Bible tells us in that moment, the disciples of God were, here it is, and I quote, filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't just filled, they were controlled by the Holy Spirit. You come down a little further in Acts 6, and you happen onto this godly man by the name of Stephen. And there the Bible says, hey, you know, Stephen was full of faith. He wasn't just full of faith. Translated there in the Greek language, he was controlled by his faith. Let me tell you something. There's a place 
And you and I have got to come to this place. Man, we need to be in that place where we understand God does more than just lead or prompt. He guides us. He controls us. Now, there's two things I want you to see in Colossians 1 that seem to be biblical mandates just to get us in the door of that to be an opportunity in our lives. First of all, let's jot it down. I mean, we see it straight from the text. If we want to have God's guidance, if we want to have that level, we've got to hunger more for him. I mean, that's an obvious. Look at the end of verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, notice this, growing expanding in the knowledge of God. Man, I had the most bizarre thing happen in the first service. I was talking to them about two weeks ago. This couple came in and we were talking and they're engaged and they're trying to set a, a marital date and they were talking about different venues around Longview and hey, could you tell us? And they don't live in Longview, but they have a lot of relatives here, so they're gonna actually have the wedding here. And anyway, they said, Pastor, we don't know you. How long have you been married? Confession time. How many men in this place have been asked, how long have you been married at some point in your marital life and you didn't know exactly when you were asked? Can I just see your hands with transparency just for a moment? And the other, the other set of you guys, you, you're not telling the truth. Uh, so anyway, I just told them, hey, I've been married 38 years. Well, I was close. I've actually, until in just a couple weeks from now, I will, I will be married 38 years, but in that moment, I'd only been married 37 years. So I came home, I confessed to my wife. I said, hey, I was asked this question. Here's how I answered it. After I did the math on it, I was one year too long. And she said, that's horrible. If you're going to miss, miss on the short end. That makes it feel like and sense like you've just been enduring it for all of those years. And I said, are you going to tell me if I'd said I've been married 35 years, it would have been better? Well, of course. <clears throat> so guys, just let me tell you. When I saw her riding across the pasture the other day on the four-wheeler, I was just watching her out the big plate glass window there on the little farm. And man, I was just so moved watching her drive along. I, this is really what I felt in my heart. Man, I just wish and I hope and pray after 37, almost 38 years that God will keep teaching me things and bringing me to the place where I know Becky Cook better and better and better. In fact, if real confession is good for the soul, man, there's times I pray to help God help me understand my wife more and more and more and more. Do you understand that dimension that Paul brings to the Colossians? This letter is so different. It's not like the letter to the church at Corinth. We mentioned that last week where they had questions and they were always getting spanked. They were the trouble child in Corinth. The church at Colossae 
small, small community, seeing that it was on target, Paul writes to them and talks to them more in the sense of, hey, you're under a lot of pressure. And so what is he offering up here as God is guiding you and, and leading your church even into a deeper dimension? He says that comes about when you continue to grow and grow and grow in your knowledge of him. You see, the truth is, when you and I really have a heart to know God deeper, more intimately, some great things begin to happen in our lives. We know the Bible tells us it brings a whole dimension of spiritual power. You and I are able to have great spiritual power. In fact, listen to Proverbs 16, 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord established their steps. Wow. There's a sense of power when the Lord says, don't do that. Don't, don't go to Asia, Paul. Hey, 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 Moses, stop talking to them about staying here. I want you to go forward. Elijah, Elijah, don't worry about that boy dying. I'm going to take care of that through you. Listen to me, Elijah. Know me, Elijah. You see, you and I have got to be focused, each one of us individually, on our hunger and desire to know God more deeply. And there's no substitute for that. Somebody showed me a video in the office right before I walked over here of their, grands, their grandbabies in the back. Not like babies. They were like, I'm going to say, one junior high, a couple older elementary school. She said, here's what my three grandsons do on their way to church. And they were doing tooting sounds in the back of the car. And we were talking. She was saying, I'm just so pleased with that. But she said, because they're happy and they're going to church. I said, I'd be pleased with that too. Going to church is a good thing. But you know what? There's more than us just being here. You do understand, and we'll talk about this in a moment, what God is really after in our hearts and lives is that we bring our best to worship, not the leftovers, not what we, not what we have left over after club volleyball with our kid all weekend, and we just drag our old bones in here and says, God, here's what's left. Oh, no. God desires in us as we attend worship to have what? Anticipation and excitement. He, he wants us to be here today to say, I mean, I'm so pumped about this. I'm praying that God will show me, enlighten me in his word, that, that God would let me take one more great step to a knowledge of who he is a little closer. I'm telling you, there's great power that comes out of that. There's also incredible spiritual peace that comes out of that. I don't know anywhere in the Bible better expressed about the real peace when we know God that comes into our lives than what Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 2. He said, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Some of you have this translation, multiplied through the knowledge of our Jesus, of Jesus our Lord. There it is. That, hey, that grace and peace is manifested in such a way. You want me to tell you a third thing that happens when you, you and I begin to really hunger for our Lord? And, 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 and that is, it, it brings us to a place of expanded wisdom. Isn't that what Paul's describing here? More wisdom, verse 9. More understanding, verse 9. A growing knowledge, verse 10. 
over and over and over. He says, these, some of these decisions, the two Greek words that he uses here is Sophia. He says that wisdom in the Old Testament that really focused more in an Old Testament text and language standpoint in the Hebrew really focused more on life situations, situational circumstances. When you get to the New Testament, that word Sophia really was more about collecting and organizing principles of Scripture. What Paul was asking for that church is, hey, not just a leading but a guiding where you can go back and you can refer to a collection of biblical principles. And along with that, in my guiding you, you're going to be walking with me through every situation in life. That word understanding, synesis there, is about bringing information for the right solution or the right resolution. And by the way, you don't get that in seminary. You don't get that in some seminar. You don't get that in just some quick institutional way, that stems out of a hunger. I want to know God. I want to do all I can to get quality time with my God. I want to hear from him. I want to hear from him in prayer. I want to hear from him in the word. And I'm telling you, you'll never get to that place where God guides you without a hunger. You will not get there. I want to show you one other thing this morning. It doesn't just take a hunger, but it's going to take a better and stronger involvement in terms of your worship. Now, most of you have heard in the Bible of something that we call text. Hey, we say, look at the text. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 is a particular text. What's the text for your sermon today? What's the text for your small group lesson today? What's the text for your devotional today? Whatever it may be, we understand that. Sometimes speakers will amplify that and say, I want to talk to you about something textual. But you also know there's another very important principle at work in us understanding God's word, and that is context. Contextual. I want you to look with me at Colossians 1 and just skim. Just look toward the end of a chapter. When you get to about verse 14 and 15, we begin to see a change. And I'll be talking about this and teaching you this over the coming weeks. We're going to look at all of these verses. Not today. But as you begin to look, Paul evidently around verse 14 stops speaking the writing part. And evidently he starts Singing. You may be able to see it as you read along there in your English version of the text. And maybe you can pull it out of a context of what's happening. But all of a sudden, he begins to either sing or recite spiritual songs. By the way, in biblical life, we call those Christological hymns. They are the ancient songs of the early church. Verse 14, we're told, in fact, they start singing about the fact that he was the firstborn. 
You get down there in verse 15 and 16. He's the firstborn creator. They're singing about God being the creator of all things. You get to verse 17 and they're singing about, hey, he's the sustainer. You get to verse 18 and they say, hey, we we wanna sing about his leadership. He's the leader of our lives and the leader of our church. And and you get down there in those last three or four verses of of that spiritual song, that Christological hymn, verses 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, right down in that stretch. And it's all about our Savior being the Redeemer. You say, Pastor, why are you saying all this? God will never be the God of your life until you really have a hunger for him, but until your worship reaches a certain level with the Lord. Say, so, well, what is that? Well, we know, we know what the Lord doesn't like in terms of worship. You read Malachi 1, you find out. You bring chinchy offerings. Lord doesn't like that. You bring a chinchy self. Lord doesn't like that. It's like, you know what? You gave your employer for five days this week your A game. And look at you dragging in here like a mullet. Exhausted. Bags under your eyes. Just drag it in here, giving God whatever you got left. Just, well, here it is. We ought to be glad that you're here. And we are. But God wants something greater for you than that. I mean, it's one thing to have God leading. It's another thing to have God guiding. Big difference. I share with you all the time about these breakthrough moments for me personally. God showed me just a few weeks ago of all the people in the Bible, he showed me something fresh and new about the Magi. You say, wait, Pastor, a couple weeks ago, early March, mid-March, it's not Christmas time. No, 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 no. God took me over there to Matthew 2 to those magi. You remember those cats that visited with the Lord after our our baby Jesus? I mean, you you got that shepherds, magi. You got that in the Christmas story, don't you? But but, but what, what God showed me could be the key and the catalyst for us today to get us over this worship and hunger kind of concept and bring us a reality of a whole different level of obedience Have you ever stopped to think, these guys were pagans? The Magi weren't believers. They were just pagans. Evidently no covenant with the Lord, but in history they had learned that there was going to be this star of David. And when this special star appeared, that there there was going to be a Messiah, God's son. And that happened hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth, that type of prophetic. That's evidently all they ever had. But all of a sudden, these pagan magi saw this unique star. That's all they knew. Have you ever stopped to grapple with that? That's all they knew. And as soon as they saw that star they started moving to Jerusalem. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know what was going to happen. 
Did, didn't have a road map, didn't have an itinerary, didn't have anything. They just knew, hey, we need to follow that star. And so they were obedient. And of all places, they go to Herod in Jerusalem, the king that's trying to kill the Lord Jesus. I mean, they were all about half timid about the thing to begin with. Herod trying to kill the Magi looking for him. I mean, what a chaotic moment. And then, of all things, after that encounter, the Bible says, and lo... The star shone before them. Stars are high and they're fixed. They don't move. Falling star moves. The other stars are set. That's how you navigate on the seas before all this sophisticated stuff. Of, of all things, God displaces a special star and he puts that low in before them and mounts that right over the very place where Jesus was and they were able to follow him, to meet him with just a little bit of information. You say, well, Pastor, what? Hear, me, hear my heart today. You and I, most of us here today, have way, way more in terms of enough information to start making decisions and start moving down the road where the Lord Jesus is leading us. But what holds us back so often is our lack of faith and lack of obedience. Because we think and we expect every single blank to be filled in. And I just ask you this as we close this morning. If God's attempting to lead and then to guide you, and you continue to be disobedient in following that path, why would God attempt to lead or guide you ever again? It is so important that out of the very hunger of our hearts and lives and out of the very genuine worship of who he is, those two catalysts coupled with the obedience out of our heart could bring us to a place with a whole new dimension in terms of confidence, in terms of safety, in terms of refuge in our lives if we would just allow him to be the God of our lives. Can you imagine what your marriage would be like letting God guide you? Can you think about how much pressure off your shoulders? It's like, hey, hey, we, we don't have to keep this thing afloat anymore. It's God that's guiding our marriage. Think about that. I'm so thankful that our God is willing to make that kind of investment in us. I want you to experience that. As I preach this morning in the first service, I'm not going to tell you where he sits, but back toward the back in the sanctuary is a man that I've been cultivating, trying to win him to the Lord now for better part of seven and a half months. His Significant other came to church first and he, 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 he started coming. He bought his first Bible in 58 years. Bought the King James because that's all he knows. 
And I just keep trying to reach him because I know he has no relationship with Christ. And every time that I love on him and talk to him about that, and I explain to him, look, you're 83 years old. You may be the greatest hog hunter in East Texas. But if you don't know the Lord, you know what he tells me? Three or four times he's told me the same essence, not exact same words, but very similar. He's told me over and over and over, listen to what he says. He says, you know, I I think the Lord is just going to fill in a few more blanks for me and one day I might do that. Really? The Lord's going to fill in a couple more blanks for you? Well, you know the first time he told me that, what happened? But dude, I uncoiled. Are you kidding me? Open up that King James. You showed it to me. The inside cover out of a Catholic background is, is Jesus stretched out on a cross. Is that not visual enough? Why did he die there? For you and for me. And then the Bible tells us, when you call upon him, Lord Jesus, I want to bring all of my sins. I want to dump the baggage right here, man. And by faith, I'm trusting you're the son of God. And I'm going to let you be the very Lord of my life. And by faith, I'm going to trust you. The Bible says you will be saved. What more do you need? Well, I just need a, I just need a few more blanks filled in. My friends, you can see. Most of our lives are spent resisting, pushing back, not being obedient to the very leading of God in our lives. And I just ask you, why? Why would he ever try to lead us and guide us again? You and I have plenty of knowledge to begin the journey with him. You and I, in the spirit of God, have the opportunity to tap into his guiding and the wisdom that that brings. Can you tell one thing? I love the Lord. It hurts me when I see underachieving people all around me that have riches and opportunities spiritually People won't invest. You can't win in the Christian life without a hunger to know the Lord in greater capacity. You cannot have him as a guide if we continue to worship at a level that is displeasing to our Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had in your word.
Father, we are approaching in these next several weeks a huge moment in the life of our church. And we're just trusting you. You've given us more than enough to move forward. You miraculously gave a piece of property that almost a year, the the team had almost given up. And was maybe out of that moment when those four men said, Lord, we just don't think that we can do it. So interesting that within 48 hours, a phone call came and the land was brought to our very feet. And then, Father, the struggle to pay for that land, millions of dollars in the incredible location, people began to murmur and doubt. And of all things, an inheritance shows up out of nowhere and doesn't just pay the land off, but leaves us with a seed money of three quarters of a million dollars to get started on the next step. And Father, we just keep following your leading and your guiding in our hearts and life. And Father, it is just an amazing journey. And so here we find ourselves ready to be the very sacrifice to make commitment and sacrifice for what you desire in our church's life. But Father, it goes beyond that. You don't just want what's best corporately for our church, our New Testament body. You wanna see incredible strides individually with each man and woman and student in this room. You want so much more. You want more hunger on our part. You want deeper worship on our part, a commitment and anticipation, a sense that you're gonna do something and move in our hearts and lives. Father, I pray for the souls that we encounter, maybe this week at a kite fly. Hey, I wanna talk to you about our Jesus. That savior can change your life. Would you be willing? to allow him to come into your heart and your life. Father, I just pray that you would allow us to start being obedient, like the Magi. We don't have to have all the answers, but we just feel you're prompting and leading, and we're bold enough to take that first step. We know you're gonna fill in the blanks. We know that you're gonna take care of the needs. We know that you'll be there for us. You will not allow us to go to these places that we don't need to go, just as you did in Apostle Paul's life. No, you're not going to Asia. No, you're not going to Bithynia. You you just back up. No, Moses, these people are not going back. No, Moses, they're not gonna stay here, but I have a plan. And so, Father, today... We seek your plan. Thank you for your goodness. We love you. We worship you. We will follow you wherever you lead us. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.